So one of the things that's really important here is for us to find a way to try to identify the claim or demand that has then created an expectation that then in turn creates an unenforceable rule. Bill Wilson, co-founder of Alcoholics Anonymous, wrote in 1952, if we examine every disturbance we have, great or small, we will find at the root some unhealthy dependence and its consequent demand. Wilson suggested that if we could identify and continually surrender these unrealistic and unrealizable demands, that we may then be able to accomplish what he imagined to be the recovery's next frontier, something he called emotional sobriety. Flash forward 70 years and join psychotherapists and best-selling authors Tom Rutledge and Dr. Alan Berger, who have taken up the mantle of exploring Bill Wilson's new frontier Welcome to Emotional Sobriety. Well, here we are again, Dr. Alan Berger. How are you doing? Well, I'm doing fine. I'm doing fine. Talk about emotional sobriety today, right? We were going to be started at one o'clock today, and I'm setting up my new mic, and, and Jess ran out on an errand to get, uh, I think, Maddie or Cece some new shorts for the summer camp we're going to, and she'd be, I'll be back at one, I'll be back at one, and it's one twenty. Yeah. And so well. now... Now I got to let it go. Right. Mm -hmm. You guys were great. You guys are rolling with the punches and I'm, I'm ready to divorce her. That's right. We, we don't, <laughs> I mean, we, no, 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 no. We, we, well, first, first of all, I don't want to go through your divorce. So don't do that. Uh, this, this, this being, being positively selfish on my part. It's, it's, and I like Jess a lot. And I, you know, and I don't, I don't think you're going to do any better. So it's, <laughs> <laughs> I better, I better but boy, look at, look at the reaction though. Right. And she's just 20 right. minutes late and I turn it into this catastrophic right. thing. I mean, yeah. which is what this head of mine does. It's like, yeah. it's not a big deal for you guys. And, and now I'm, I'm letting it go as we sit here and talk. And I even saw your guys' attitudes was great towards mm -hmm. the whole thing. But of course, you know, that first thing is I'm going to really make her pay for this. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, well, you know, that guy, that yeah. guy, yeah, that, that guy speaks and you, you know, and that's what we, what we do. And we, and what we teach our, our, our clients and our listeners to do is, you know, I, I call it quiet defiance if, if is, is one of the best places, which is you, it says, you know, we're going to make her pay. And you, 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 go, you look over, you, you look sideways at that, that voice and you go, Okay. Anyway, what were we talking about? What were we doing? <laughs> I love that. And you, I like and it. you just, totally, you just, it's like a non sequitur, right? You have a right. complete you non sequitur. Just, you just acknowledge <laughs> yeah. quietly the interruption and then you go, it's, it's like, but, but and then the, you the move other on. Well, the other thing I think we can, since we're, we're masters of, of, of turning whatever the hell's going on into something we can teach about is the other thing though, is we could, we could say, okay, well, this is also a good reminder for you to, when you look and see that, that, that Patrick and I are, are chatting away, having, having a good time, you know, and not concerned about the, about the time is, and, and even if we were, I mean, the bottom line is this is where it's really cool that we have support, yes. you know, we, we got each other's backs. It's, it's yes. like, if, you know, what I know is if I, you know, the, you know, that when we were doing our third, when you're doing the, the Thursday night uh, thing and I was supposed to be part in presenting some of that stuff and I fell into my duck pond uh, and, and, I and, and, yes. and came back and told my unemotional sobriety uh, story there with, you know, cussed like a banshee in the, in the, in the duck pond. Cause I was not, not so much cause I fell in the duck pond, but cause I was, it was right at the moment I was supposed to be getting on the air with, with you, you know, and it's like, my wife thought it was hilarious. She was fully entertained, but you know, the, the thing is I, you know, I texted, I had her text Patrick actually, cause I was in the shower, but um, you know, you guys responded, everybody, every, and I knew that was going to be the case, but I didn't, I forgot it in the moment. The well, fact, I had so much fun with it. I mean, yeah, look that yeah. we were all laughing and having a, a great mm -hmm. time, but look, what makes this important? Like you said, when you, you say, how do we turn this into a teaching time? So, First of all, everybody out there, I want you to hear this. Tom and I are teaching this. This doesn't mean that we have mastered this. There's right. no mastering this, that we are, we are a work in progress. You are a work in progress. None of us are going to be able to adhere to these principles perfectly, right? We strive for spiritual progress, not spiritual perfection. We try to strive for emotional progress, not emotional perfection. So this is such a great opportunity to say, look, 
Tom and I are, we're right in the lifeboat with you guys, right? We haven't, we haven't found a way out of this lifeboat yet. We're still paddling away and trying to figure this whole thing out. And so please give yourself a break out there. Right. You know, as we talk about these things, we're going to set up some principles, some ideas, maybe even some ideals in terms of what's the best way to handle this. Mm-hmm. But this is, this is, I like to think of emotional sobriety as a series of successive approximations. A series like of successive approximations. We keep trying to get a little closer to the bullseye, right? That every time, even in, and even if we fall back and we now are even off, off the target completely. Bet, we, miss, we miss the dartboard entirely. <laughs> that's okay too, because we're going to learn from that. And so one of the things I love about working with you, Tom, is we say everything is grist for the mill. You throw everything in the hopper. We grind it down. We're going to unpack it. Your success is important and your failures are equally important. Well, they're, and, they're, and, they're, and they're the same in the sense, you know, one of my little nutshells says, if you learn, if you learn from failure, it becomes success. And that's, that's the truth. It's like, it's, it's, and, and, and the other thing is the great hypothetical that I love and, and it's part of, part of it is, is understanding that I'm not, and I have no interest whatsoever in being someone who is going to say to you now, or any time that I can imagine before I drop off the face of the earth, that I understand how the universe works. Cause I don't, you know, I did when I was in my twenties <laughs> because I knew how everything worked then. I knew everything back in those days, exactly. but, but <laughs> that's what makes me so, so admirable. It's so admirable when I meet people who are younger, uh, who are, who already have humility, you know, it's like, they're, they're amazing to me because I had none back in those days. But, but the, I, the idea is, you know, what you said about the lifeboat, being in the lifeboat is that's that's not a problem definition for me. That's a that's a that's that's a, a definition of where I am. And I like the lifeboat. I like the people that are in the lifeboat with me. I you know I like being here. And it's like it really is okay if uh, um, whatever. What, and what you know. And the hypothetical I was I was I almost forgot what I was going to say. But what I was going to say is, you know, just the hypothetical is if if the purpose of life were to learn and specifically to learn something each day about myself about how to be better you know then how am I doing to me that to me that's where you and I talk about integrity a lot that's one of the ways that I kind of measure integrity am I am I finding something that I can learn about myself you know and it's not and someday you know and and definitely learning not to measure each day not by how I feel I want to be aware of what I feel but feeling good is not necessarily what I need at the end of every day. You know, that's what I want. I like that. I like happy, being happy, feeling good. But the idea is, you know, sometimes, you know, I say anybody can have a good day on a good day. It's like sometimes, sometimes the best days of our lives, as far as what we're learning and how we're growing are days that you ask me at the end of the day, you say, how are you doing? I'm going like, I feel like shit. You know, I feel, you know, just, just, just worn out. And, you know, and, and if, you know, if, if, if emotional recovery was a physical thing, I would be so sore, you know, it's like, but it's like, I, but, but I did good, you know, right on. In this uh, scheduling pileup that you're experiencing, Alan, with uh, the kids and Jess is not, taking it personally or attempting to not take it personally? Would you say that that's Uh, the main cooling factor? uh, That's a very important thing. Look, so we'll get to that in one minute, but I want to say one more way that success and failure are the same. Mm -hmm. They're both temporary. Yes. They're both temporary, right? Yes. They're both very short lived. (laughs) And see, that's why you you don't want to think about setting up house in any one of those States, right? Because Mm -hmm. if you do, you're going to be evicted. (laughs) That's right. I mean, your That's failure right. is not going to last and neither is your success. And so I love it. There, there's this I, movement, right? I, ha- I have a new prop. Say that again about failure and, and success right. being the same. Failure and success are the same because they're both temporary. That wasn't very loud. There we go. It's almost like Dr. <laughs> Marks. The bird's going to fall. <laughs> the, and there's the, a hundred dollar gift. The magic void. The magic void. <laughs> <laughs> but I, but see that yeah. that's the wonderful that's thing it. about these things is that when we get these new perspectives, you know, sometimes I work with, you know, these junior tennis players, right. When I, when I, especially when my son, Nick was, mm-hmm. was playing and our loss would be so catastrophic. And I would say to them, 
Who do you think is going to remember this loss two weeks from now? Nobody thinks about that tournament. What are they thinking about? The next tournament. And they're not thinking about whether you won or lost. They're thinking about how did I do? There's no, and that's the other thing, right? These things are so important to us, but they're not that big of a deal to everybody else. And look, and like you said, Patrick is not taking it personal is, is such an important part of, of navigating and achieving, you know, emotional sobriety. And that's really what we wanted to devote this show to today is to really take a deep dive into this whole subject of not taking things personally. Yeah, because that's it's one of the things that I I had suggested it too to suggest it because it's one of the things I hear from listeners about and I hear from people uh, 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 that I've talked you know the clients ask questions about this too. It's like, but the idea because I think it's it's a very it, it, it's definitely one of the things that in twelve steps uh, is a great example of something that is simple but not easy. It is, it is, there, it is complex in, in a lot of ways, but, the, but the concept itself is, is quite simple and it, it you know, and, uh, and it does, it does take some exploration and this is, but as we get started with that, as we do, as we get, and as we specifically get started with the whole new emotional sobriety theme for our podcast, it's like, you know, I want to, I want to, I want to start emphasizing, I want to continue to emphasize that, it goes back to what you're saying about who we are and what we have. You know, we, we get really excited about what we're talking about. We we're both very enthusiastic about this stuff. And I, you know, I, for, and I, one of the things I've said to, to, to other people is that one of the things I've learned from you uh, from working with you is, is how to speak with more authority because, because you do that very well. And it's like, like, and to the, you do it so well that I, I, there's several jokes I get off on you a, a lot because, because you sound so damn sure of yourself. But the, but the truth is, you know, I, I'm, I am Mr. I, I was talking about this at the, at the workshop I did for the Berlin group uh, not long ago where, where it's, it's like I was saying, I'm like Mr. Disclaimer, you know, I, you know, I stop, I'm the opposite of that where I'm going like, but this, the next sentence, I say may not apply to you. <laughs> you know, if, that, if, I, if I'm not careful, that's every other sentence. But what, so what, I, but I, but I, I want to be able to speak with the same, that same, that voice of authority or that surety that, that I, that I have when I'm feeling and thinking about this stuff. But I want everyone listening to know that this is where you practice. I have a nutshell for this one too. And that is, I respect your opinion. I trust my judgment. I respect your opinion. I trust my judgment. Listen to what we say. Take it in. Figure out where it fits for you. And if and and definitely ask questions if it feels like that does you know the way you're hearing it doesn't seem right for you. Then let's let's tailor it to find that out. Now sometimes, however, it may not feel right to you just because it's so drastically different for somebody who has been 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 basically working and their self-esteem has been based on how other people respond to them, how other people approve of them, that kind of stuff. Just saying we're going to teach you and talk about not taking it personally all by itself is really difficult because the idea is we're, what we're saying is your, your opinion counts the most. And that's, Bro that's tough for people. Broadly speaking. I mean, why would you say that so many people struggle with not taking things personally? Does it have something to do with, you know, we're all the heroes in our own story. And so everything is framed through a sensibility of, you know, something that's happening in the world. It's actually always happening to me. So, mm -hmm. well, I, I think you've hit it, a very important mm -hmm. point, Patrick, is some. Yeah. And, and I think we can really explore this a lot. But I think it's this issue that Don Miguel Ruiz in the four agreements, he calls it that that the issue underneath all of this is this idea of personal importance is that i am so important and that we've we've all have this idea that it, everything is about me that somehow we're the center of the universe now i think that that comes from a lot of different sources one of the great books i read when i was uh, in college and I still have it. it. It meant that much to me. It was called The Culture of Narcissism. An incredible book. It was so well done. And um, one of the things that he argued, and I'm forgetting the author's name right now, and it'll, I'm, hopefully it'll come back to me before. That's, that is one of the long haul symptoms I've had of COVID. My memory is just not as clear as it used to be. Oh, Christopher mm -hmm. Lash. So his name was Christopher Lash. Mm -hmm. So it did come back to me. See? Yeah. 
Um, so one of the things that he argued, and, and my God, he's a sociologist, and he was really able to tie in all of these trends from all different angles in terms of our society. But he said what happened in our society is that we made everything about us. Mm-hmm. And, and we had to, in order to consume as much of the world's resources as we do, we had to feel that we have a right to this and that, that, that we're that important, right? So this whole thing is, yeah, you have the right to this. You have a right to that. It's all about you. We even, our education system, like in Europe, you know, before you can get your PhD, you have to be proficient in two languages. They've done away with that requirement in most PhD programs now. They no longer us to be proficient in two languages. Most other countries that you grow up in, like if you were like, you know, if you were a, a Dutch person, right? Mm-hmm. You not only speak Dutch, you speak German because you, you also um, have many different dialects and you speak English. So you got at least three languages that you're operating from. Which is an amazing. Think about that. I mean, you know, we think of bilingual as a real unique thing in our country right now. It's the norm in a lot of other countries. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm, I'm amazed when I, yeah when I've talked with uh, I have a friend that lives in Switzerland and, and and when you figure in all the different dialects of German, it's like I, I I lost count of how many languages she speaks and how she can move back and forth from them. And yeah. in the meantime, where, where she will say something like, like she'll, she'll make some disparaging remark about her English, but I'm going like, you speak better English than I do. You know, they didn't teach that good of English in Texas. That's for sure. <laughs> that's right. We should so at least be speaking Spanish. Right. So, so look, that's, that's, so right. that's one, that's one source. Now I, mm-hmm. I think that the other source is, is that this whole idea of not taking things personally has not permeated our consciousness and our culture. I mean, when people hear this idea, that's one of the reasons why Don Miguel Ruiz's book has done so well. When people read that second chapter about not taking things personally, most people, their mind is blown and they're highly skeptical. Mm -hmm. They're highly skeptical. I I can't believe that that's true. You mean nothing that anybody else does is about me. I'm serious. I have people argue with me about it. Well, wait a minute. This has got to be personal, right? Right. They want it to be personal. They want to be that important. They want to have it have something to do with them. Well, they want, they want what we, well, one of the things we want as human beings is we want, we want things to, to not change. We, uh, we want things to stay the same. We want things to, if we think we understand them, please don't, don't change the rules on that. But one of the things that, because we're, I like the direction you're headed, but I also want to add this thing that, that, you know, that I come in and add behind, we did this the other day in another situation is I want people to understand that, that, that this, this not taking it, per, you know, understanding the world is about me does not mean that you think that everybody, you know, where there are, pl- there are plenty of people who are, we were talking about the different kinds of arrogance. It's like, there are plenty of people who are arrogant enough to think this should be, you know, that basically you're not being, I think your example was, was you're not, uh, if you're not treating me right, then you're not loving me the way I deserve to be loved. And what I was saying is I come from the side of that exact same dynamic in which if you're not, if you're not treating me the way I want to be loved or, or have a, a feeling I need to be loved is then that means I'm not loved. Lovable enough. It validates my low self-esteem. So there is that, you know, we talked about you, you came up with this great idea when we were talking on the Thursday night group, I, I wrote it down and called it stacking arrogances. I will have to come up with a little, little bit easier term for that, but it's like, it's like that basically that, that if you ha- are an arrogant person underneath there, you have that same neg- negative arrogance that I talk about. And if you're a negative person, you're going to find that you have that same kind of arrogance that you're talking about. That's right. It's, it's, it's like, an, and I've, th- I've been thinking about that since then. It makes so much sense, but it's, I want people to know because you need a place to be able to get a, get, get a foothold with this stuff as you do it. It's like making it about yourself does not mean you're, you're being grandiose about yourself. It, ju- it just means, you know, it, and I use the, exa- the example of, of something I heard somebody say a long time ago that you can believe I am the piece of shit the world revolves around, you know, it's 
like like I am, you know, because we that negative arrogance is that place where where it's like, oh, no, this is one more way. I mean, these people will tell me sometimes that, you know, no, they were they were, even they were born bad or that, you know, that, you know, God hates me. I mean, that that's pretty self-centered. You know, <laughs> to say right. you personally is, like, oh, you know, yes. yeah. And, and it's like, this is all validation for that, but it's all the same thing. It's, it's like the idea is if somebody is do is not, not coming up to your standards, that's, that's not personal. And, or, or, or here's what we're saying. We're not even, I don't even say if it's personal or not. I don't know what the other person is talking about. They, they may, they may be directing it to me as personally as they possibly can. The, but what we understand, the go, the tool here is, don't take it personally, you know, yeah. refuse to take it personally. And that doesn't mean you don't listen to what the content is, but what it means is I don't assume that if you're, if you're going off on me, that that's because of me. Right. I think, that's right. People's, you know? I, I think yeah. people's feelings get hurt when you suggest that they don't have a right to their grievance about something. The way I would say it, Patrick, is this, see, I, I think that whatever is going on. So let's say you say something that, that I feel offended by. Right? Which he and does I'm all the time. By, which you do all the time, Patrick. <laughs> we, we, Tom and I are going to do an intervention on you. Talk, talk to you about being polite. And I'm so sorry. Sorry. finally straight. Yes, there it is. He's the negative. Uh, it's, it's so on cue. But look, so let's say that happens. So now, if, if I'm healthy, I say, I say, wait a minute. What is it about that that bothered me? I take a look at how come whatever comment you made had had that impact on me. If, if I am stuck with blame and, and unenforceable rules, then what I do is I go back and say, how dare you think that way about me? I make you wrong for having that opinion, idea, whatever, whatever you said that I took as an offense. You know, let's say you said, Alan, you're not as smart as you think you are. I know you've thought that many times. I can see by that smirk on your face right now. Patrick, go ahead and own it. No, I'm no, but I, I just I'm imagining I, I'm sure you've heard that from people before when they, uh, you know, they. Uh, well, if somebody they doesn't feel, like, they feel uh, like you're getting one over on them. Intellectually. Well, that, yeah, or if they don't like what I'm saying to them, they're, they've got all kinds of names. That's a good way. Call. That's a good way of <laughs> I mean, uh, ignoring the well, substance. Yeah. See what, what we got to understand if we put this in a larger context. In every relationship, there's going to be certain maneuvering that takes place in that relationship. So if you say something that hurts me, do I take a look at what's going on and instead of blame you for it and say, wow, what is it? What does that remind me of that hurts me so much? What's going on? And separate it from you. That might be your way of expressing something you're upset with me about. That might be the way that you learn to talk about in your family. If somebody hurts you, you go after them, mm -hmm. you attack them, you know, in other families, you may withdraw from them. You may become what we, you know, people call passive aggressive. You're not going to say anything. And then you go slash your tires or something like that. Mm -hmm. But see what I'm saying with this, not taking things personally, the way that you respond and the way that you deal with what you deal with is based on who you are. It's not based on who I am. How I respond to you is based on who I am. It's not based on you. Mm -hmm. So that starts to get us separated from each other and not responsible. Now, when I said everything is maneuver before, this brilliant family therapist, Dr. Gerald Zuck, Z-U-K. I, I love his work. It was brilliant. He looked at families in terms of their interaction. And one of the things that he looked at is, did the way that they interact with each other keep the conversation flowing or did it shut it down? He just looked at that variable. Did the conversation move to what's next or did it get stopped? Very simple variable, right? Is the conversation continuing to move forward or is it somehow being brought to, a, to an end? What he saw was that when tension would arise between people, instead of keeping the conversation moving and trying to figure out what's going on and get to some resolution, most of the time what people did is they 
they used what he called a silence-inducing strategy. Mm -hmm. So they would say things like, how dare you talk to me that way? Instead of saying something like, wow, you must be really upset if you have to talk to me that way. See, that would keep the conversation going. What, what's got you so upset? But he would say, oh, if you really respected me, you wouldn't talk to me that way. And what did that do to the conversation? Ends it. Right. See what I mean? It brings it to a thing. Or, and if, and if, and if those shaming maneuvers, so shaming things like, well, that's not a very nice way to talk to people. That's a, mm -hmm. it's a good shaming way to, to silence somebody. If they didn't work, somebody could be a bully. You keep talking to me that way, you're going to really pay for it. Mm -hmm. You know? Well, they're, they're all, they're, what comes, this is exactly what I work with with, with couples to, because I, you know, I teach couples that basically defense begins defense. And everything you're talking about here is a, is a defensive response. It's like, and so, so the idea, and they can come very unconsciously, but, but it, I love, I want to learn more about what you're, this, this, this uh, doctor, what's his name? Dr. Z, Ger Gerald Z, Dad, Dr. Z, I like Zook, Zook. I like I like Dr. Zook because does that, because does that make his uh, his kids zucchinis? Oh, God, no. sorry, sorry, <laughs> sorry. I hope, I hope Dr. Zook didn't take that personal. It's like it's like I do. I take it personally. It's like I don't know why that is. It's <laughs> like oh yeah, that's I remember. That. I never. Oh, never mind. This is horrible. Um, okay, Be because. Everything about communication is about keeping those defenses down and, and, and keeping the conversation going. I love that, that simple distinction. Is this shut the conversation down or, you know, now, by the way, when I teach the couples, when I, when, you know, when, when, if a defensive thing shuts the conversation down, it doesn't mean necessarily that the two people stop making noise out of their mouth. They, they may still talk, but the conversation, as we would think of it as a conversation has ended. There is, there is nothing productive happening. Um, with that. So I, I love that idea. Um, and I, but, and I, and I hope I'm not d disrupting too much here, but I want to go back to, 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 for a minute, because this seems really important to me that when, when, because when Patrick first said that, like, like, what was it you said, Patrick, the, uh, about grievance, grievance? doesn't mean somebody doesn't have a grievance. Right, right. That, that somebody was going to, uh, yeah, not, not let you have your grievance. Right. I it's think, like, you know, people I, feel like, uh, they're very attached to this idea that their pain needs to be validated. I guess. Right. And which, which, which basically we do all the time. It's like, it's like, you know, you know, I tell, I tell, I, I give the example of like, if, um, you know, if, if I have some sort of disorder where I have these massive ticks of, of movement and you're standing too close to me and I start swinging around and, and, and break your nose, it's like, it's not personal. I, I have this, this, this tick disorder that I have. It's, it's like, however, you still have to go to the hospital because I broke your nose. It's like, we're not saying people's pain is not real. What we are saying, however, and I think this is what I'm trying to announce is if we want to, if we want to follow this plan of emotional sobriety, we're going to find out that we're actually participants in how much we're experiencing the pain. And that's not to say the pain. And by the way, if I'm, if I'm hurt because of what I'm doing internally, the pain is still real. We're not saying to somebody, you're not really hurting. Uh, and the other thing is, uh, we live in a real world. I, you know, I, I, you know, I, we talked before we went on, on the air today about, about a, a grievance I have uh, with Dr. Phil. You know, it's, 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 it's like, I still have that. It's like, you know, we can look at, well, look at that one time and see where I'm taking it to personally and, and doing this stuff. But it's like, it doesn't mean you don't get to have it. You don't get to express it. It just means this is some stuff we can do to work through and become better and things we can learn from this. It's, I guess what I want people to know is nobody's telling you that nobody's trying to invalidate your experience when we say, don't take it personally. Is that, does that seem accurate, Alan? Oh, I, I think you, you're right on. And see, the thing is, is that we're not, we're not invalidating your experience, but what we're challenging you to do is to pay attention to what you attribute your experience to. Got See, it. that's the important thing. So let's take Tom's example of the tick disorder. Mm -hmm. And so you stand next to him and he breaks your nose. Taking it personal would be, 
well, why weren't you more careful? If you cared about me, you'd be more careful. The guy's got a neurological disorder. He was doing the best he can. So if I'm in relationship to him and I don't want my nose broken, the next time we're hanging out together, I'm going to keep a foot, you know, you know, boundary between us, you know, a safety zone or something like that. I'm going to learn to be in social distance. <laughs> You're yeah, going to socially distance with me. Thanks, Pete, right? <laughs> but see, but see, if, if, if I go back to him and say, you got to do it my way, because that's my demand on you, that you got to control yourself. The, the, trust me, the stuff we're talking about you may think it's ridiculous to, to use the analogy to a tick disorder, but these habitual ways of reacting are very, very, very automatic. Yes. And, you know, like Tom was saying earlier, when I was talking to him about my first thing was to, you know, to be upset and, you know, I'll divorce her. He says, listen to the first voice, recognize mm -hmm. it, ignore it, and then think about what's the second voice. <laughs> See, and the reason we're doing that is because we understand that that first voice, you've reacted that way thousands, if not millions of times. Correct. And to think that just because you get an idea in your head, you're going to be able to turn it around. It's not going to happen that easy. It's, you just know, Ellen, it's, it's no, it's it's. And as a matter of fact, you and uh, when I wrote that, when I wrote that little piece about like um, I called it the short, the, the subtitle was the shortest self-help book in the world. It, it, but it was about first voice, second voice. You know, and it's like what I tell people a lot of times is the shortcut of all of this intrapersonal stuff is first voice, not me, second voice, me. And so the idea is and, and there are, there may be exceptions to that. But, but when we're dealing with something that has any kind of emotional nature to it, I don't think so. I think the, the idea the first the first voice is the reflex and and it doesn't mean it's always wrong because the second if the second voice says i agree we're going to go with that one we do that but but the idea is very often we go with the first re reflex the first response which is if we're hurt we get defensive yes and 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 that's taking it personally that's that's what it's doing is you know what i want people to know when they hear this is like you know, if we're, if we're having a conversation about an example of this, then we're going to look at the details of this. It's not just, it's not just, sorry, you don't ever get to have a grievance because, because that would be horrible. We would all end up so emotionally constipated. It would be, you know, it, we, we would, we would be horrible to be around, but, but we have to be able to process our feelings. But what we're talking about specifically with emotional sobriety is a, basically a, a mindset and maybe even a lifestyle of, of saying, whatever is happening to me in my life, I want to learn from it. How can, how, you know, that positive opportunism idea that we use, which is how can I use whatever's happening to me to become a better person? What can I learn about myself from this that can make, can help me be better next time? And it doesn't mean that other people don't bump into us, don't do so. And it doesn't even mean that people don't do mean things to us on purpose. Yeah. It takes you out of reaction and into action, right? Yes, yes. And even the word that came to my mind, it takes what we're trying to do is take people out of reaction and into investigation, yeah. you know, and I don't mean overthink everything, but it's but but what we're talking, we're talking about this stuff is we're wanting to, you know, I use the, the phrase, you know, hit the pause buttons a lot when I'm working with, with clients with therapy, I just hit the pause button. Let's yeah. take a look at this. Let's back it up. Let's slow mo that. Let's just see because the devil's in the details and that's where we'll find the solutions. And it's like, it's like, in, and it is investigation and it is about learning and it's about changing. Well, let's go a little further. Cause I, I, I think that this is right on. So we're, we're inviting you to investigate when you're upset about something. And, and let's say you have taken something personal that somebody has said to you, right. That it's really bothered mm -hmm. you. So now what do you do with that? Like Tom said, if you can not respond immediately to it and live in the pause for a while. And I love what, mm -hmm. what Dr. Victor Frankel said about that. He says, there's a space between a stimulus and our reaction. He says, live in that space, in that space, you have the power to choose in that choice is your freedom. And all, emotional sobriety is about emotional freedom. I mean, that's what, you know, that's really what we're striving for when we're trying to, to achieve this emotional sobriety in our life is to have this emotional autonomy. So it, let's, we're in that space now that Tom is talking about, the pause, the restraint of tongue and pen, Bill Wilson called it, right? In, in I think in the big book, even he, he had that idea in it because he understood 
that that our reflexes, as Tom's saying, can can go go awry at times and stuff like that. That I can fantasize a lot of things about why you're doing what you're doing. A lot of it's not good stuff, right? So I want to pause and not have another great phase from the phrase from the big book is not have contempt prior to investigation. Mm-hmm. Not have contempt prior to investigation. So let's talk about the investigation a minute. So one of the things that's really important here is for us to find a way to try to identify the claim or demand that has then created an expectation that then in turn creates an unenforceable rule. Because underneath that, you're going to find this every friggin' time. Um, a very interesting thing I ran across, Tom, and you'll appreciate this. So Fritz Perls, the founder of Gestalt Therapy, or some call him the co-founder, as Laura was oftentimes thought of as the co-founder, um, he had this, this um, protocol he worked with with resentment. And so what he had the person do is, first of all, articulate what the resentment was. I resent you for, let's go, you know, just take the Dr. Phil show, maybe. Mm-hmm. I resent you for, I think you told me you worked with an anorexic gal. He was going over her stuff. And the agreement he had made with you is that when he talked about her and the work you did with him, that the quid pro quo would be that he'd, Talk about your book. Was, was that Embracing Fair? Yeah. Was it yeah. the Embracing Fair book? Great book. So he goes on the show. Thank, thank you for promoting it. <laughs> he goes on the show and he, and he talks about this gal and talks about the great work that's done with her. And he says nothing about the book, right? Right. right. So he doesn't say anything about it. So the resentment you had, that's you're saying. That, I, re- right? I resent him for violating our agreement. That's right. That's yeah. right. So All I would right. say that. Okay. Yeah. So then, the, then, then Fritz would say, all right, well, what's your demand underneath that? So after you say the resentment, say your demand, I demand that if you make an agreement with me, you have to do what? You have to, you have to, you have to uh, fulfill it. You have to follow through. Right. Now. That's mm-hmm. right. And see, so there, there comes the should. And now we get mm-hmm. to the unenforceable rule. People should do what they say they're going to do. Mm-hmm. And then Fritz would always say is, do you do that all the time? <laughs> you always do what you say you're going to do. Right. And the person always goes, well, wait a minute. Right. I mean, I got that rule, but I'm not so no, sure. I live that's up beautiful. To it. That, no, that's beautiful. Because we're sitting here with two men who know me. And, and I'm sure that either one of you would not have a hard time coming up with some examples of where I may not follow through. It's no, it be so that's beautiful. Actually, I never I'm, have I'm, one example of that. I mean, I find you. Well, well, I mean, eventually. No, but, but, I, but, but you know what I mean in this bigger <laughs> sense yeah. of things. I mean, we all are gonna you know fall short nobody's gonna be perfect on this stuff but it's so amazing how these shoulds inside of us seem like they are part of the ten commandments right but let me just let me just say what my experience was there just in that that amazing with 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 fritz's uh, protocol there it's like the first thing I became aware of the moment you said, you said, you know, had me put it into words, which, which I found was, you know, this happened years and years ago. So it's like, like uh, it's just in case you need somebody to help you know how to hold on to a resentment, please. I can help you. It's a, it's like, but uh, more than a new book coming out, you know, how to hold on to that resentment hold on even to this longer. Decades, <laughs> the decade approach to resentment holding that's on right, to it. That's right. It's, uh, it's, I'll have I'll have to get the the book cover I, I got put out for April Fools of the, the uh, uh, pretended to write a book called it's it's your it's all your fault you know it's it's like it's just all and it's a and it's supposed to be a book about how you can uh, there's nothing you can't blame on other people yeah. uh, it's uh, it's but but the idea my experience with that was when you had, when 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 you and Fritz had me put that into words just as simple like that just put it into words and see that's really an amazing thing I noticed too and this is a good reminder to me just as a, as a therapist is even though we're talking about it, it's easy to run past that but have that person say it out loud and so when I said it out loud first first of all it didn't it didn't seem as big as it felt inside. I felt, I felt an incongruence to that. The other thing that occurred to me immediately, and this is just very subjective in terms of my experience is another guy in my head immediately told, pointed out to me how, when you, cause you were asking me about the demands that I have and, and you were asking them within present tense is that this happened years and years ago. 
and that there's nothing that's going to be righted about any, it's not even possible to do that now. And so the, the futility of it became, a, a, and then you added the part where you just simply ask, am I perfect at that? Yeah. So, I mean, I had, you know, and I'm sure everybody's experience would be different, but, but just with that one thing, one, two, three hits, yeah. you know, I had already, I was already in a different process with it. Right. There you go. And I think and I'll then, stay And then, then it would even go a little farther and then go, then, then what was the fantasy? If he would have promoted that book, what would have happened to your life? Oh, the, well, the book, oh, the, the giant, every bestseller list. And, and I would be the, you know, the most amazing, famous author on, on the planet, of course. And, and you, you know? and I have both had experiences. We go on shows and do a great job and we don't get one book sale from That's that. right. That's right. <laughs> You know, Alan, uh, you're a you're, you know you're a student of uh, Viktor Frankl, and would you say that he succeeded at not taking his experience personally? Was that something? I think it. I think that wow. he he. That's such a great question. If if people don't know about his experience, he was a psychiatrist in Vienna, and he was um, taken prisoner by the Nazis in World um, at the beginning of World War II lived in a concentration camp, one form and the other, four of them, four different camps he was sent to. Uh, probably the only reason um, that he wasn't killed in one of the last two camps is because they realized he was a medical doctor and they put him in charge of the medical care for all of the other prisoners that were in the camp, which meant nothing because they provided him with no medical supplies to do anything mm -hmm. for anybody. Um, I think he always... What, what he said was what they did, I didn't let what they did define my life, that the way I handled that defined my life. So I never gave them the power, but he was always, always critical of any kind of a tyrant and anybody trying to impose what they think is the right thing on other people's lives. I think he always felt that there was a terrible wrong that was done during that particular time. Um, See, that's such a beautiful, that's, that's perfect for this, this exploration of this area where there's, where there's, there's try, we're trying to understand something different about taking it personally. I, I wrote down that, that's not the, the, that I would, I, that's not the way I define myself. It's like, that's the key. The key is the key is whatever. It's not saying what that other person is doing. It's not even saying it doesn't suck majorly because obviously we're going to, you know, Nazis. Yeah. They suck majorly. It's, it's like, uh, and I'm pretty sure that's an understatement. And, but the, but I'm, I'm, but to take something that huge and, and, and he said what, you know, what, I mean, I think good therapy says everywhere is just and good solid uh, self-esteem says, which is, which is, it's, I'm going to, not, not just, I'm not going to let them define me. I'm going to define myself by how I respond. Yes. That's, that's what this is. It's like, it's all about how I respond and not taking it personally. This is the piece I'm getting right now is okay. That's an, that's another, that's a reframe. That's another way to say, let's think of it this way. It's like, forget about like not taking away your grievance, but the idea is, okay, this is what's happened. How, how are you going to respond? There you go. What's going on inside of you? And what's, what are you going to respond? That's beautiful. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Because it, it, it emphasizes that, you know, no matter what happens, that we can still find a way to respond best to the situation that is going to result in our um, wholeness, if you will, and, and keeping our integrity. Our, healing. our equilibrium, our healing. Yeah. Well, cor correct me if I'm wrong, but Dr. Frankel, I believe also in the Ma man's search for meaning said, and I, I, I need to have the exact quote because, because his words are so amazing is, but it's, he said, you know, in that moment, uh, that, that space and time between, but, but, you know, in the space in between, he said, approach things as if you're getting ready to do this for the second time. You know, and, you know, and, and basically like, like if, if you had, if you, and I love this idea, if you had a second chance to do this, how would you do it? Yeah. You know, and it's, it's like just that idea of how many times I've screwed things up, you know, on those reflexes yep. and the idea of saying slow down enough to where you could actually be doing it that well.
And I, I love that. Oh, no, no, right on. I mean, that's a great way of thinking about it. And, and that's when we listen to the second voice, we got it. So we've given ourselves a chance to do it the second time. Right. 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 Yes. That's it. Where we create a space to think about it and think about our best response. Now, I do want to make a, 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 um, a plug for us on this. See, when I read Don Miguel's stuff, which I've, I really, I'm a big fan of his work. I really think it's very, very, you know, um, in fact, he calls his a practical guide to personal freedom. Isn't it interesting that he's in many ways talking about emotional sobriety? I think Dr. Viktor Frankl was talking about emotional sobriety when he was talking about how to deal with what was going on around them. All those folks had to unhook their expectations that the situation should be any different than it is. And every one of the responses started with accepting the situation exactly like it is. So that becomes an important part is acceptance on this. And I do think this requires another show for us to get into this Mm -hmm. more. Mm -hmm. But where I'd say that we also, I think that where we take this a little bit in 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 a different direction and maybe take a few steps down is we also look at the unenforceable rules underneath what is making this personal for us. And that's the important thing. When be, Before we talked about the personal importance issue is that because I'm making this about me, but now we want to go further. When we're making it about us, we have to say what kind of ideas, what claims, demands, expectations, unenforceable, unenforceable rules are being activated when this situation goes on. And see, that's where you and I have found in working with people, Tom, mm-hmm. that we can unhook them big time from this stuff, from yes. their shoulds and looking at the supposed tos and ought tos in their life. Mm-hmm. Ab- that's beautiful. No, no, absolutely. The, the, um, yeah, I call it going down the ladder. You just keep going down there and it's just a few more rungs down and you're going to, and you're going to, you're going to find some of this stuff that can, that has the potential to change your life. That's right. It was interesting. So I, I my Gestalt um, training group was last week and I was I always prepare some kind of a presentation and and I, I'm always reading and getting more information. And and um, Dr. Irving um, Polster, Dr. Irv Polster came out with a new book recently called Enchantment in Gestalt Therapy. Great title, isn't it? And oh, wow. I didn't know he had a new book. Enchantment. Uh, he's 97 right. years old. Yes, I knew that. Seven, <laughs> And he's still writing. There's hope for us, Tom. I want that, man. I want that. <laughs> uh, 97, he's still writing. And, and, and one of the things he talked about that I really took to heart, and I gave a whole presentation on it, is he says that there's two different ways of thinking about awareness and insight he says one dimension is horizontal that i become aware of right now and what happens when i move to next and if i pay attention to now to next there's some important information i can see how do i take care of myself do i say what's on my mind do i try to mobilize myself to get my needs met what am i doing along the horizontal plane so from so one dimension is how now moves to next. You got that? Mm-hmm. Got so that's it. the horizontal plane. Now think of a vertical plane. Now we can also gain insight by how now is influenced by then. Yes, because the, because the vertical plane comes with us. It comes with us. It's with us yeah. in, the, in, the, in the horizontal. But now can be influenced by what happened in my past. So now then becomes now. Mm-hmm. And if then becomes now, now the past is 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 creating a lens to which I'm looking at the present and it can get incredibly mm-hmm. distorted because I'm not seeing how it's different. And so one of the, the points of this is, is that when I deal with that then and now and deal with whatever the unfinished businesses issue is here, it frees me up in the now to go to next. Right. Because, it's a yeah, cool way of thinking, man. I just thought, what a neat way. And as I was working with the students and we did a, this, this great 
you know, this always happens. It's almost like the client's here to lecture and they come in and they present the issue exactly to demonstrate what happened in the lecture, which of course yeah. is not what's happening. It's, mm -hmm. it's we get a mindset and we're kind of focused on this issue. Yeah, everybody's got the same lenses. We're all looking at the same stuff now. That's yeah, it's beautiful. Right. Now it's like, that's how we learn. Yeah. That's how we learn. I mean, it, it was so cool. I mean, she was she was dealing with all this now to next stuff. And then all of a sudden she had to go and deal with her stuff with her mom and then dealt with that and then came back to now. It was a it was an amazing session, a great training day for us. But but I wanted to throw that in because that's what you and I do. We do it so intuitively now. We're not thinking, oh, I'm on the horizontal plane here or now mm -hmm. I'm working vertically. Mm -hmm. We mm -hmm. just go to where we need to go. I mean, mm -hmm. this is this is us thinking about it now. But mm -hmm. but I want us to come back next time is us to explore these unenforceable rules and okay. to talk about how they relate to the personal importance. So we will have a part two to taking okay. things personally. Okay. I like that a lot. And, and that that's a very logical pro progression. So uh, yeah, so I'll, not, I'll come back. So I'll come now, back. Moves, now moves to next. I like that. See now. <laughs> I love it when a plan comes together. I know. Patrick, mm. is there anything that you'd like to add before we sh stop the show today? Uh, only that uh, I just imagined Tom with uh, Hannibal's uh, cigar in his mouth when he said that uh, 18 quote just now. What, what, was it, what did I say? I love it when a plan comes together. That's what Hannibal <laughs> used to say on the 18. Yeah. Oh, my God, George Prepard. You, you, you didn't even know where you pulled that out of. I, I <laughs> you're right. I, I, I didn't make that connection. <laughs> And you're sorry, a young guy. Sorry. Oh, no, I love that. No, thank you. It's like this is uh, a young guy that's a student of film. Trust me, he's a young yeah. guy. But, but Anything that. where, uh, you know, helicopters blow up, uh, you know, trucks. Mm -hmm. you got the, of, yeah. Oh, you specialize. Okay, yeah. good. <laughs> All right. Yeah, that's that. I, I, no, I appreciate you making the helping me with that reference so that I know what I know what the hell I'm talking about. But otherwise, but, I think you guys addressed uh, addressed the topic. Uh, I, you know, it was very illuminating for me. See, in my head, I was thinking I was filling in. He was going to say adequately, you know, it's like, see, that's that's the, that's the way they, you know, and even even though that's that, I, that, that thought occurred to me as a joke, as a, as a humor. But the th thing is this, I don't want to overthink it, but that, that guy's in my head. It does. You know, he, 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 he comes through and says, oh, I can I can add something here. You know, Patrick's getting ready to give you a subtle slam. It's well, like well, they, these days I'll, I'll take adequate. Adequate's an upgrade over, uh, you know, days <laughs> oh, God, past. No, kid. <laughs> no, kid. it's like still standing sometimes is, is an upgrade. Yeah. Great show today. All right. Peace out. Tinge your life. Tinge your myth. Cultivate your narrative with whomever you're with. Then with glass in hand and children on one knee. Bring some stories. Bring your stories back to me It ain't a crime to be a human Never be ashamed to be yourself Rest assured that whatever you're doing will entertain me like nobody else So here's to us my old friends Until it's time to drink the wine and break the bread again Glass in hand and children on one knee Bring some stories Bring your stories Back to me